Well, good morning. Kids are heading out. Great, great. Love it. <clears throat> so as they're doing that, and I love that my daughter just realized I'm speaking this morning. She's like, wait, what are you doing up there? <laughs> no. Well, good morning. Um, I have a couple real quick things. First of all, I did uh, want to remind you, I didn't get into the announcements this, for, for Sam to speak, but we will start youth group again next week, January 9th. That's number one. Number two, this morning, um, God helped me to realize how extremely thankful I am for our production team during first service because the, um, the remote that I was using to go through my slides decided to stop working halfway through. So production team, I am thankful for you guys. I am thankful that you're here for second service. <laughs> uh, well, if you, uh, if you would, open your Bibles. Um, if you've got one or if you don't have one, be sure to look on with someone next to you. We're going to open up to the book of James, chapter 3. That's right. We are jumping back into James. I think uh, Pastor Jerry and I were doing the math this morning. It's been five or six weeks since we've been there together. And I think it was actually right after Thanksgiving that Pastor Jerry spoke on the beginning part of chapter 3. And um, as much as I would love it if my brain were to remember details that far out, it's not true. And so for my own sake and for the sake of anyone like me, let's, let's just take a quick sec to just sort of review the big main point of chapter 3. And it's this, or excuse me, uh, verses 1 through 5, and it's this, is that James paints a powerful picture of the power of the tongue. More specifically, the power of our words. And James goes on to use this, this imagery of, of a rudder of a ship and says that the, the rudder of a ship has the ability to move a huge ship, even though it is so small. And that rudder has the ability to take that ship wherever it is the captain wants it to go. And so like the rudder of a ship, our words are so powerful that they move us. Words have the power to change our entire lives. They have the power to change the direction of the way that we are going. And you know, this week as I was studying for this, it kind of struck me how powerful our words can be. I, I, in my life, I realized, I'll, I'll give us two examples in my life of, of the power of words. The first thing was two words, I do. Changed my entire life. For Megan and I standing in front of a group of our family and friends, those two words changed the direction of our lives. Because instead of orienting towards ourselves, we we're now oriented towards each other at our wedding. And from then, our marriage. The second one, I, I actually brought a, um, an ex or actually, I brought it, um, and Megan's like been very nervous about this, so, so we'll have to do this quickly, and we're going to put it right back, into the, uh, right back into my folder here, okay? This is our adoption decree. And these words changed us. I mean, they're simple words. I mean, like the word on, of. Simple letters and words put together change lives. This is what James is trying to communicate here, that our words are extremely powerful, and they have the power to move. Now, hopefully you guys are at chapter 3. Good. Okay. I was waiting for somebody to say something. I, I learned in youth ministry a long time ago that just wait long enough and that awkward silence will force somebody to say something. <laughs> Won't do that here. <laughs> so let's check it out. Uh, James chapter 3, verses 5 through 12. 
So also, the tongue is a small member, and yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless the Lord our and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouths come blessing and cursing. My brothers, this thing ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth the same, from the same opening fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives and grapevines produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's pray. God, you are faithful and good to us. Lord, in the midst of our despair, in the midst of our depravity, Lord, you brought us out. We praise you, God. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit that guides us to understand it. And I pray that you would open our ears, open our hearts to be, to be receptive to what you have to say today. Amen. Well, in today's passage, James continues to give us this litmus test for our faith. And it's basically this, at least this part of it right now, is this. It says, a true, genuine, and real faith in Christ is seen in how we use our words. It's seen in how we tame our tongue. We're actually going to see three things in our passage this morning. Number one, the destructive power of an untamed tongue. Number two, the results of an untamed tongue. And and finally, we'll, we'll, we'll see that there is hope for a tamed tongue. So let's jump in. Right after James describes the power of the tongue in verse 4, he goes right into describing the destructive power of an untamed tongue. So we're going to look at three different images that James uses to help us understand the destructive power of a tamed tongue. And the first one is this. First, he tells us that a tamed tongue is like a blazing furnace. Look at that again in verses 5 and 6. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. In 2016, Megan and I watched online as one of our absolute favorite areas of Tennessee was engulfed in flames. In November of that year, the Gatlinburg area of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park had been, had been set on fire, burning acres and acres and acres of land, igniting homes, destroying businesses and beautiful mountains. This fire raged. In the end, it cost over $2 billion in damage. And you know what it all started by? A couple of teenagers flicking matches and throwing them down on the trail. 
A small spark can create a huge fire. And like a careless match thrown along a trail, our words, our careless words from untamed tongues can cause incredible damage to ourselves and to others. If you look at verses 7 and 8, we're going to look at that just real quick. It says this, For every kind of beast and bird and reptile, or rep, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. Now, just a real quick little bit, because we're actually going to come back to this later. Humans have tamed animals. We've harnessed the wind. We've been able to hold back oceans of water on our time on earth. But like a raging forest, like a raging forest fire, no human can tame the tongue. So what do we do? That's the surprise. Just let that hang right there. Let it be there. But let's look at the end of verse 8 here. It says this, No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. These are two vivid images of destruction. Think about this. An untamed tongue is a restless evil. That's pretty heavy, right? Just take a sec to think about that. A restless evil. It never stops its harmful work. Even when our tongue stops moving, the careless words that we have spoken continue to work in a person. I know that I've had careless words spoken to me that ring in my head and in my heart long after those, those words hit my ears. And I shudder. My heart hurts to think about how, lo how, the, how long the, the mistaken, hasty words that I have spoken have stuck around in someone else's mouth or in someone else's mind. Our untamed tongues are a restless evil. But he goes on to say that also our untamed tongues are like a deadly poison. I think James' use of poison is, a, is an incredible choice here. Because think about this. How does poison normally work? Often it's ingested and it begins to work from the inside out. Right? Not only are our careless words poison for others, they're a poison for us too. I want us to think about this real quick. The phrase, uh, now this didn't work in first service. I'm curious if you guys will get it. If I were to start off a phrase, I want to see if you guys can finish it for me, okay? I'm rubber, you're glue. Whatever you say bounces off me and sticks to you. I'm so thankful somebody got this. This was a huge, like, defense mechanism we would use in elementary school, where basically if someone says something unkind to you, you're like, well, I'm rubber, you're glue, it just bounces off me and it sticks to you. Has that ever worked? No. It doesn't matter how much rubber you are. That does not work. It still can penetrate to your heart. Our words are a deadly poison. So here's my question to us, Rock Prairie. The words that pass over your tongue, they have power. Do you stop long enough to deeply consider the power of your words before you speak them. Take an inventory just right now. 
Take an inventory of your words. Social media, at work, at home, over all of those lovely Christmas gatherings. Think about those words. Our hasty words, our violent words, our lustful words, blaspheming, false, gossiping words, words that belittle and are harsh. Think about those flattering words. Even words that are said as a joke have destructive powers. And that destruction can have deep implications on you and me and even the church. You know, verses 9 and 12 help us see the results of this untamed tongue. Let's look there now. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouths come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James begins to address this problem that's permeating in the Christian community here. The people praising God and then turning around and cursing, tearing down, belittling the people that were made in God's image. You see, he, he's, he makes this emphatic statement that these two things should not go together. It's like as if we were to come here this morning, praise God all morning at church, and then walk out this door and deny them with the very words that we speak. Those things should not be together. He emphasizes this with, with verses 11 and 12 when he, uh, he asks these rhetorical questions. Like, like, is it possible for one plant to produce fruit of another? Or if you, can you scoop fresh water out of a salt pond? At least for the plant example, I think at farming community, we can answer that question. We are not going to get beans out of a corn stock, are we? No, and that's James's point. He's saying this should not be so. These two things do not go together. And the same is true for the words that come out of our mouth. I love that what James is, is hitting at here is simply this. It should be unnatural, unnatural for a Christ follower whose heart is being regenerated to have an untamed tongue spewing destructive words. Again, at the end of verse 10, James says, this should not be. We should see it as unnatural for Christians to speak lying words, gossiping words, deceptive words. Destructive words like this can cause incredible amounts of damage to people and to the church. The first result of an untamed tongue is this, is that we can damage the image of God. During the Roman Empire, Caesar would actually have statues of himself created and then placed in cities and towns all over the empire. They were there as a stark reminder of who's actually in charge. 
no matter how far away Caesar is, it's a reminder that, hey, he's in charge. You see, and then what they would even do is the people would be expected to have the exact same respect for that image that they would have for Caesar if he was standing right there with them. Church, Genesis 1, Genesis 1, tells us that we, man, people, were made in God's image. He placed in us infinite value, infinite worth, and he prizes his image bearers over the rest of creation. And God made man and with his own characteristics as his representatives on earth. Turn on any nationwide news channel, open up literally any social media, and start scrolling, and it will not take you long to find something, an example of people using their words to malign somebody else for some sort of gain or some sort of power. On social media, this happens a lot. Somebody says something to you or about you, so you feel like you need to, you know, up the ante and get back at them. Happens often. Or, or, or maybe even this one. Someone posts an opinion, and another person feels that they need to destroy that opinion with, with harsh, strong language to show that person how wrong they are and how wrong you are, or how right that you are. This happens so often. While this shouldn't surprise us to see this from people without the gospel of Christ in their lives, the problem is it's in the church too. A Christian has an issue with somebody, and instead of going to that person to help them deal with it, they begin to gossip about them behind their backs. It is no different. Church, when we tear down another image bearer, with our untamed tongue, we aren't just damaging a person here. We're tearing down the very thing that God puts enormous worth and value in. Rock Perry, this should not be. We should see it as unnatural. The second result of an untamed tongue is that we damage the church's witness. You know, that we are waiting as believers for an incredible day for when Christ returns and his saints get to go live with him in glory forever. And I am so excited for that. But while we wait for that day, Christ gave the church a task. He tasked us with being his witness to spread the good news to the ends of the earth. And so it's our job to point out the love of Christ, to point out the hope of Christ, to pull out, point out the grace of Christ to the lost in this world. Those in the Tipton community who do not know about these things are looking to us to understand who Jesus is. And that's, that's, that's where we have the rub. Jesus knew this when he prayed to God in the garden. He said this. He, he prayed in John 17. He said, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that 
the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Jesus is praying for Christians over all time. He's praying that we would be united so that the world might know Christ. You see, it's in our unity that the world sees the clearest picture of Christ's love for them. But church, an untamed tongue does not produce unity. Proverbs 12, 18 says it like this, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise will bring healing. Our untamed tongues are like a sword that cuts into pieces. Christians, we're not immune to this. There are churches who use hate speech in the name of God. There are churches who members get offended by others in the church, and so they walk away. And instead of dealing with it correctly, they spread rumors about others. Splitting. This should not be. This is unnatural for Christians. There are even non-Christians. This is the one that kills me. There are non-Christians who question if God can love them because they have met Christians who have spewed hate from their mouths because of a lifestyle. (laughs) This is not the love of Christ. It's the opposite It's the opposite of grace. It's the opposite of hope. When people who don't know Christ see this in the church, they think that's who Christ is. And of course, they want nothing to do with it. Rock Prairie, an untamed tongue damages the work that we have been called to do. And it damages the people that we've been called to love. It is vital to our mission in this community that we are aware of the destructive power of the tongue as well as the results that our careless words can cause. Now, that is a lot of heavy stuff. And honestly, that's where the passage ends for right now because that's his point, is this cannot be. It is destructive. But before we close today, I want to give us hope. I want, us to, give, I want to give us three takeaways. Number one is the source of, an un, of a tamed tongue. And then I want us to have a couple of steps of having a tamed tongue. Is that okay? I know for me in writing this, I actually called Pastor Jerry and I'm like, dude, this is heavy. Like, I I walked away from these first few points going, I feel burdened because of the responsibility that we have to represent Christ. But praise God, because there's hope. Let's look at the first one. A tame tongue comes from the gospel. Remember when I said that we would come back to verse 8? Well, here it is. Have you been dangling it? Do you want to pick it up now? I'll set it right here. In verse 8, James writes that no man can tame the tongue, and it's absolutely true. As humans, we do not possess the ability or capacity to tame the tongue on our own. Here's why. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 12, verses 34, that out of the heart 
the mouth speaks. And so the source of our tongue, the source of our words, is our heart. And so the state of any human heart without Christ is what? Corrupt. The state of our heart without Christ is full of sin and unable to do anything about it. But praise God for the gospel. Praise God that he sent Jesus to this earth to live the perfect life, to die the death that we deserve because of our sin, to raise again, conquering death and sin. And now is working in those who follow him. When we as Christ followers receive this gospel, God's spirit came into us and began this process of regeneration in our hearts. And now the spirit lives in us, guiding us, convicting us, even of our words. If you are a Christ follower and you realize that your tongue doesn't reflect that, pray. Pray that the Spirit would do mightily, mighty works in you. Pray that the Spirit would show you your words and teach you when to speak and when to be silent. If you're here today and you are not a Christian, please hear this. You cannot change on your own. Our hearts are corrupt. None of us can change on our own. Sin runs rampant in our heart, in our lives, in all men. And it's only through Jesus that our sin can be forgiven and our hearts can be made new. But the question remains, does a tame tongue mean I can't speak at all? No. That does not mean A tame tongue doesn't mean that we always have to have a silent tongue. It means that we are going to act and are acting in the wisdom of God, knowing when and how to speak the truth in love. I'll say that again. It means acting in the wisdom of God, knowing when and how to speak the truth in love. Let's finish with those two practical pieces, the when and how. First of all, a tame tongue thinks before it speaks. Before we allow words out of our mouths, we need to think about the implications of those words. Are they destructive and untamed, or are they tame and wise? At church, we... um, We encourage our volunteers to use this acronym. It's called the THINK acronym, which I think we've got a picture of it up here. And it's an acronym that we use to test for words when posting on social media, but it can actually work any time that we speak. It says this, and you can see it up there. It says, is what you're about to say true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Ask yourself these questions, and if the answer is no, maybe rethink what you're saying, or don't say it at all. Our next one is this, and um, if what we say passes the think test, then the next thing we want to do is to be sure that we speak the truth 
in love. So a tame tongue speaks truth in love. Now, not everything we are going to say will be happy and bubbly. Sometimes there are hard truths that need to be said. For parents, you guys can probably relate to this one. It can be one of those unpleasant teaching moments that can end in consequences for your kids. Or at other times, for for all of us, it can be someone has hurt you, someone has wronged you, and you need to approach them about it. They're not fun things, but they're times that we need to speak. And when you do, do it in love, with the goal being that we stir each other on to be more like Jesus. Approach your words to others with this here in mind. Approach others in the way you speak like this. Our goal is in speaking truth and love is this, is to build someone up, never to tear them down. Our goal is to build up, not to tear down. Parents, our goals in speaking tough things to our kids is never to make them feel terrible. It's to make them and point them to Christ. Hard words sometimes are necessary, but our goal should always ne- should never be to tear them down, but always to build up. Church, our tongues are powerful, but they can have a destructive power to harm the witness of the church and as well as destroy the very people that we are called to love. Or, They can be used to build each other up and point each other to Jesus. Let it be that. Let's pray. Father, this is a a passage that is not just true for some of us, but for each and every person, including each and every person that calls on your name, God, this is relative to all of us. Lord, all of us have fallen short here. Forgive us, God. May our hearts and may our words look to build each other up and point each other to your Son. I pray in his name. Amen.